Screenagers, welcome back to another edition of the Canon Podcast, the only movie podcast providing you with the most essential movies watch list. Uh, we have another great episode for you today. I am joined by two of my good friends, two great contributors uh, to Screen Age Wasteland, uh, part of the Saw community. First up, we've got Mr. Sailor Monsoon. He is back and he's ready to roll. Also with us today, we've got Bob. Big Bob is in the building for his first appearance on the canon. Bob, welcome. How are you doing today, sir? I'm glad to be here and uh, excited to be talking about this great movie with you guys. Hell yeah. Sailor, welcome back. How are you doing, my good friend? I'm I'm doing fantastic, and I'm just itching to jump into the big pool that is Alien. Amazing. I love it. Well, my dudes, thank you for joining. We've got a lot to talk about for this movie, so I think we should just jump right in. Let's talk some Alien. Let's. It's going to be a good time. I was, for this episode, I decided to rewatch Alien. I rewatched it today. Uh, I have the 4K uh, Blu-ray disc copy of it, so I was excited to pop that bad boy in. I didn't realize when I bought this Blu-ray that there are two versions of the movie on. There's the original uh, theatrical cut, and there's also a 2023 director's cut, which I did not know existed. And it's also weird because I'm pretty sure I bought this Blu-ray in 2022, so I'm not quite sure what happened there. So that's kind of the first question that I wanted to ask you guys. Did you know that there was a director's cut? And if so, have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, that's the one that, that I tend to watch actually, because, uh, I, my first my first experience with alien actually was with the novelization because I was too young to see it when it came out, but apparently not too young to read about it. So I read that first and I read that to that book to death. And because uh, Alan Dean Foster wrote the novelization from the original screenplay, it has scenes in it, including the, the scene that the primary scene that's in the director's cut with uh, Dallas uh, being found all cocooned up is, is part of the, is part of the novel. So when I actually first saw aliens for the first alien aliens, alien for the first time, I was We're like, wait, wait a minute, a where lot. is this scene? Yeah. And, and I tend to watch the director's cut version whenever possible. Interesting. I also didn't know about the novelization of the of the movie. That sounds that sounds pretty dope. So, how many times had you read the novel version before you had seen the movie for the first time? And like, how old were you, maybe, when you first saw the movie, if you remember? Oh, that um, I, I actually didn't see the movie until I was a, a teenager, and I'm not exactly sure how that how I managed to miss it like on HBO or, or whatever it might've been in. I, I wasn't allowed to watch it until I could rent movies myself. And so like the very first like movie that I rented. Money. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so the very first movie I rented was evil dead, but I'm pretty sure alien was, was in that first batch of tapes as well. Nice. So, and I, and I read that book, so the version I have right now sitting right next to me is, is a hardcover uh, book club edition, but the paperback version, I probably read, I don't know, 
24, 25 times when I was a kid. That's something that's like awesome. that. Cause it's only 128 pages or something. So I could read it in, yeah. in a couple of days. Easy. That's, that's sweet. <laughs> Sailor. I got to ask you the same question. Were you aware of this director's cut? I know we, we got into it deep in our first episode of the Canon talking about, uh, Blade Runner and, and all the different cuts of that, uh, but were you aware of the Alien director's cut? Yes. If Ridley Scott's name is attached, you know there's going to be a director's cut. But unlike all of the other <laughs> movies that have director's cuts, this is actually, I mean, it's an improvement as uh, are all of his um, director's cuts, but it's all he does is just cut out the pacing of the, the tracking shots, he, he shortens them. And I think yeah. he just includes one or two scenes that you wouldn't even notice weren't in the original because you think they are, which is, uh, I think the crucial scene that he adds in is that Ripley explicitly does not want them on the ship after they leave the Nostromo and then come back. She's like, no, absolutely not. That motherfucker's not coming back on the ship. So I think that's no, the, that's in the theatrical. I I, I swear there's a there's a scene. I, I, I'm, I'm it's, almost it's positive the, there's a, a an additional beat where. Okay, I, I'm I'm not one hundred. It's possible because sure. he did. Yeah, he did tweak. Like he's the like the original director's cut is like five minutes shorter than the original cut, even though he added new scenes. So he's trimming little things and then adding very tiny bits. Like the, when Lambert slaps Ripley, I think that's an additional scene. Mm. Okay. I know, that I know that scene right. is that in the original, I but I know there's more to it to try to just beef yeah. up Ripley's character. And I think there, I think you see, like Bob said, you see Tom Skerritt later. I think that's the, the scene in the director's cut. Honestly, it's been so long since I've seen, both of them back to back. I couldn't. They're so minute. The changes. I just know he really removes a lot of the tracking shots, which don't bother me at all. I don't mind because it's Alien. If you break it down to brass tacks, it's just a haunted house movie. It's just a haunted house movie where you actually get to see the ghost, and the ghost is an alien that you can't get rid of. So I don't mind very slow methodical tracking shots down the Nostromo or on the, the planet. Now, uh, having said that probably did not, uh, dig them when I was younger because I am uh, currently listening to, uh, Quentin Tarantino's book, uh, cinema speculation on audiobook because my ADHD is nice. to the point where I can't reach it anymore. So I have to listen to audiobook. It's bad. It's bad. The older I'm getting, I just cannot focus on stuff anymore. So I just pop on an audiobook and I'll play video games or whatnot. And um, he, in, in the first 40 minutes of the, the book, which I'm assuming is the, the first chapter, he talks about all of the movies he saw in the theaters from the age of like six to 10. And he has like a photographic memory of the theater he saw it with, who he saw it with, the jokes that landed, the jokes he didn't get, the questions he had. And I wish I had that because this is a movie that if you saw at a young age, this is going to imprint on you. And it didn't for me. 
the movie, the reason I got back into this movie was actually because of the third game, uh, third movie, the, the video game based on the third movie, of all things. Alien 3 had a video game for, I'm pretty sure, the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis. And that game scared the shit out of me so much that it made me, like, go back and look through the series. Because the the, the point of that game is you're, you're going around, you're trying to save your missing crewmates or whatnot. And if you don't get to them in time, there will be a little cinematic where a chestburster will pop out of the chest. And it scared the shit out of me. I was like, no! It really made me feel bad that I wasn't fast enough. And I just gave up. I was like, I can't. The, the weight of this is too much for me. So then I eventually went back and watched it. And yeah, this movie to me is like... The Tony Hawk of horror movies. If that makes sense. Go on. Okay. (laughs) Of all the athletes in the world that you can compare anything to, Tony Hawk to me is the one that makes what he does look effortless. If I look at Muhammad Ali, I'm like, I can't do that. If I watch Michael Jordan, I, I can't do that. I mean, I can play basketball. I can box. I can do all those things. But I can't do it to that level. Tony Hawk will make anyone feel like they can just get on a skateboard and do whatever the hell he does. I don't know how he does it, but you watch him and you're like, I can do that. And then you get on a skateboard and you break your cockpits. And every time it rains, your bones hurt because you're going to shatter every bone in your damn body trying to do what he does. Alien is very much like that. This isn't the first alien movie. This isn't the first uh, alien on a spaceship movie. You know, there was Planet of the Vampires before this with Mario Bava. There was, uh, what is it, Forbidden Planet uh, with Leslie Nielsen back in the day. That This is not the first Alien movie, but this movie did it so well, so masterfully. Where, man, I really tripped over that word, masterfully, that you go, oh, well, of course, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. And you just watch and you go, of course, this is exactly how you make an alien on a spaceship movie. And yet no one did it before this as well. And everyone that does it as well after is just borrowing from this movie. So I I really look at this movie and I go, man, we take for granted how good certain movies are. Because they just pull off what they do so effortlessly. Again, like Tony Hawk, that I'm just an... When you remove this from the canon and you remove it from the pedestal and you just remove it from the context of what it did for cinema and you just look at it for what it is. You're like, this is beat for beat. One of the great movies of all time, like one of the greatest movies of all time, scene for scene, pound for pound. It's, it's one of the best skate skateboarders of all time. (laughs) I, you know what? I I dig the, I would love to see Ripley and, uh, and you know, try, try to try to do a, a 900 on a half pipe like Tony Hawk. I mean, you're moved, that, Ripley, Scott. You're, you're moved. <laughs> Don't tempt him because he'll do it. And then they'll do because I know there's a skateboard moves that uh, invoke. The imagery, the imagery of Christ. So don't tell Ridley because that's where it'll be. <laughs> Seeing as how this is where this franchise ended up, but we're not going to get into all that. But no. I just, I just think when you look at this movie, and it because they 
unlike Blade Runner, which is a masterpiece, but like we said in that episode, it's an accidental masterpiece where Ridley Scott, every um, decision he made on that movie seems like it was an accidental brilliant decision on his part where you're like, hmm. The problem you did the wrong thing, but you did it right, so then it works somehow. But on this movie, every single decision was right, and you can tell that they made all of the right decisions. Like, why don't they just kill the alien? Yeah. Oh, it's got alien, uh, it's got acid blood, and it'll eat through the ship, and then they'll all die. So you can't shoot it. So you can maybe burn it, but you can't get that close because it'll kill you. So like, the level of care that they put because there's many people that put their hands on this, uh, the screenplay and we'll probably get into that later, but the fact that they just worked it and worked it and workshopped it. Cause every version of this movie from its inception till now probably would have been a good movie. Even the John Frankenheimer version where he's like, how about we shave an orangutan and that'll be our alien. You're like, what the fuck? That's a true story, by the way. That's somebody's idea. And it's not the worst idea I've ever heard because a shaved orangutan sounds terrifying. It does sound terrifying. Um, But thank God somebody's like, how about we just hire that weirdo who draws a lot of dick monsters? How about we get him to create the monster? (laughs) And again, it's just every idea was the best and right idea. Like everyone was on point the fact that they they added more women to the the script and because originally it was supposed to be all men br- again brilliant like it's just again the casting mm-hmm. all of most of these were all unknowns i don't th- harry dean sin probably was maybe the biggest the biggest name probably i don't yeah. know because i know the rest of them were pr- pretty much unknowns but it's just again but I've been talking too long, so I'm, I'm just going to th- throw it back to Bob. No, you've been saying all wonderful stuff. And sorry, Bob, we are going to throw it to you. Oh, well, but- is, there, is there anything specifically that Sailor touched on that, that you want to sort of piggyback on? Well, I, I actually wanted to hear what your first experience was with, oh, the, wow. with the movie as well. So I can't, you know, I can't remember specifically my first viewing of this movie. I feel like I must have watched it at some point in either when I was in middle school or or high school, when I was just sort of, you know, getting into my movie fandom and sort of doing like what the purpose of this show is, is like going through all of the essential movies that you like need to watch if you want to be a movie fan. Um, So I'm sure when I was going through that phase, I watched Alien and I'm sure I was like, wow, this movie is super cool. But like, I didn't fully connect with it. Um, at that point, the first like time I really remember watching Alien was in college. I took a, uh, and this is kind of funny because Bob, we were talking about this before we started recording. I took a horror film class, and oh, wow. uh, I have like historically not been someone who is into horror movies. Like I scare very easily, but as a you know film student in school, I decided that I like needed to know about horror movies so i decided to take this class but anyway we 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 watched alien in the class as you know an obvious example of uh of uh like the sci-fi horror uh sort of like genre mashup and i remember falling in love with it and like i remember like all of the readings that we did about the movie were super interesting to me and i think this might be 
uh, a good sort of like jumping off point for our next part of the conversation. But we read a lot about sort of like theories of uh, of like abject horror and uh, things like like horror sort of involving the body and bodily fluids and bodily functions and and the grotesque nature of bodies and uh, like the sexual parts of our bot of our bodies and sort of just like how alien is really playing with all of those things. And I thought that that was like some of the most fascinating stuff that I had ever read and then like watched in a movie. So from there, I don't know if that's something that, that you guys necessarily pick up on when you're watching this movie or if there are sort of other themes or, you know, underlying uh, sort of like issues that you think are being addressed in this movie. And Bob, we can take it to you. Sure. Yeah. It, you know, it's, uh, it's weird. Cause of course, Ridley Scott's like, I didn't put any subtext in this movie. It's just, I just wanted to make a monster movie as best as I could and, and to scare the living crap out of the people that viewed it. But you can't, you, you can't watch the movie and not see, you know, uh, that there, I, I sometimes wonder if David Cronenberg saw this mm. when he was just starting his career and thought, yes, these, yeah. this this is the kind of shit I want to talk about. Pardon. Imagine his version. It, Oof. Yeah. I, well, I mean, you've still got a movie where essentially uh, a man gets raped and impregnated and it, a child bursts out of him, killing him, which, you know, it, for men, pregnancies like this weird uh, alchemy that happens, we don't have any understanding of it. And it's kind of a, a terrifying thing. The life form that's growing inside you and it comes out and it's fully uh, a living thing. And so this movie like plays on that men's fears of that sort of uh Activity and then the alien itself is, you know, its head is a phallic shape and it has a, you know, it has essentially a mouth penis that comes flying out. So if you want to uh, examine it on that level, there's plenty of stuff in there. And of course, you can't see Giger's work without seeing the the kind of erotic nature of those designs either. To the point where the the executives on the movie uh, didn't even want his stuff to be allowed in the film. You know, like he sent, uh, I think the story is he sent some designs to, uh, to the, the Dan O'Bannon, who was, who was a advisor as well as the screenwriter. And it got held up in customs because they were like, this stuff is so sick. We can't allow it through customs. And he had to actually like go and no, this is for a movie and, and bring it in. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so, and, and because my brain just does random bizarre stuff and I was reading this, but Giger got involved because of uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, which he worked on with Dan O'Bannon. And that's when, Dan O'Bannon had actually seen his stuff. So when, when Dune got dumped, you know, they ran out of money essentially and everybody went their separate ways. O'Bannon kept uh, Giger's work in his head. And when they finally got alien off the ground, he was like, this guy, this is the guy. So, and that's just, we started off on this, the psychosexual stuff and I've just randomly gone off into 
nothingness. So perhaps it would be a good idea if, if Sailor jumped on and jumped on the alien, yes. the penis monsters. I got it. Yes, that's yeah. exactly jump, where jump I was on going. All the Thank you. Stuff, please. <laughs> I mean, please if you, you bring up Jodorowsky's Dune, I could talk about that forever. I didn't think that was going to come I'm up sure in the conversation, could. but that's one hundred percent. This is born from the bones of the greatest movie that never was made. And if you want to see more of that, watch Steven Scarlatta's documentary. It's amazing. But so, I mean, technically Jodorowsky has to get a little bit of credit for this because he was the first one that was like, you know, who would make great alien designs and whatnot? This weirdo HR Geiger, Yeager. I always want to say Geiger, Yeager. Um, but too. he never, he, he didn't um, uh, hire him to do any aliens, just the, the spaceships and whatnot. But uh, yeah, the, the Dan O'Bannon stuff. And because who is actually, because I know Dan O'Bannon wrote it with uh, another partner, but I know. Shusett, I think. Uh, yeah, Shusett. And then I almost positive, didn't Walter Hill. Yeah, Walter Hill and David, uh, one of the other producers whose name escapes me at the David Guile, Guiler, and and Walter Hill rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it, and in the end, they like the the big contribution that that they brought to the screenplay was uh, Ash as a as an android, which is a great. I mean, that's a fantastic addition to the screenplay for sure. But everything else was cosmetic enough that the writer's guild was like, no, we're giving we're giving a screenplay credit to Dan O'Bannon. Who Ash probably- is an incredible. No, go, go ahead. I was going to say Ash is an incredible addition. And I do want to circle back to him a bit later, but yes, yeah, sailor. Sorry. Sorry to cut you off. Well, I was just, just going to say that I know a lot of people say Walter Hill was probably the one who saved this movie. And he, he might have. I don't know. I haven't read both scripts. I, I don't know what who did what. All I'm saying is you can't discredit or throw away the work Dan O'Bannon has done. Because basically this is just taking that weird volleyball section of John Carpenter's <laughs> movie and just blowing that up to 90 minutes. Dark star, right. Dark star. The, the worst part of that movie is like, you know what, though? How about we, uh, <laughs> we, do, we do something with this? We do something with this. And plus he wrote, actually, I was going to give him credit for Dead, Dead and Buried, but I don't even think he wrote that one. <laughs> so never mind. Oh, he wrote uh, Return of the Living Dead. So, yeah. I mean, you, you got to give him that. You got to give him that. So it doesn't matter who wrote it. How many people wrote it? At the end of the day, what matters is the screenplay that we have now. And what we have now is a bunch of masterpieces. It's so few movies have as many iconic moments and as, as iconic characters. Because, again, you go, you go back further on the, down the movies that inspired this, the science, science fiction movies. The captain was like Leslie Nielsen. He was very stoic. And he's like, all right, man, this is what we got to do. And then the, the crew of Planet of the Vampires. Again, I'm going to keep going back to that one. Again, more stoic characters who are, are all assessing the situations and whatnot. In this movie, we have Ripley arguing against uh, Tom Skerritt's character, Dallas. 
And she's like, no, we're not doing this. We're absolutely not doing like we, there's conflict. They're, they're roughnecks because that's what the future would. That's who would be in the future of space travel. It, it wouldn't be any different than it is now. I mean, Henry Dean oh, yeah, Stanton, absolutely. Harry Dean Stanton and Yafit Koto's entire character arc is we just want to get paid more money. That's it. Right. That's okay. That's their back Let's, and forth. That, that's everything that's going on for them, which I love, which adds in more. It's character. amazing. Sailor, can we, uh, can we, can we sort of use this to, to jump off on another point of conversation that I wanted to bring up with you guys? Oh, I wanted your, some of your guys' thoughts on. So I mentioned before that the first time I watched this was, uh, through the lens of that, of that film class and, you know, talking about the body and grotesque and, and all of that good stuff. Uh, but one of my good friends, who I, you know, I adore. I love talking about movies with him. He, he's one of the, for me in my personal life, he's one of the best people uh, to just like sit around and like chop it up about movies about. Um, I feel like everyone needs someone like that in their life. But all this is besides the point. He uh, sort of opened my eyes to another great reading of this movie. Um, in his Letterboxd review, he said that he said that Alien is the greatest nightmare of labor essentially in cinema. And I had never thought about this as like a movie that is about the horrors of like working class life and what it means to be a laborer and how sort of capitalism, like (laughs) how scary capitalism can be in like keeping us down and like throwing us aside as members of the working class. And I was wondering if you guys have ever watched this movie with that sort of reading, if it's something that has come up in your previous viewings or um if you were as blown away as i was by uh hearing those words put together well i'll just jump in as somebody who has had has worked in every single job imaginable and it's basically the grunt work that stan and yafit koto do yeah i'm gonna say a hundred percent because it it's the scariest movie ever if you just view it through the lens of them because they're the real victims they don't have any agency on the ship they have no power, and now they have to deal with a fucking alien when all they wanted was more money. It's great when you view it from them, because the rest of them, because Ripley was right, uh, that they shouldn't have brought the damn thing back on the ship. But uh, it's, yeah, I could see it as a, a great takedown on the capitalist nature of how going for profits, which I guess is more of the second one with the Paul Reiser character. But I guess that's also Ash who wants the damn thing. Yeah. But he's well, not, that was sort of, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say that was, that was sort of what I wanted to to circle back on with Ash, but finish your thought. And then we'll get Bob's thoughts on, uh, on this whole sort of thematic reading. No, I guess that's all I have to say. I think Paul Reiser's character is more that I think that's why his character is so great and, and slimy in that one, which again, we're not going to talk about that one too much, but that is great that he's like, yeah, I work for a company who just wants the damn thing. Ash is interested in it much like the, the, the aliens that'll come later, like David, uh, the Michael Fassbender character. They're just fascinated by it. They're like, man, this is thing. So they just want to see what it can do. The fact that Paul Reiser's like, yeah, we can make money off of this. That to me is the, the real evils of capitalism the future is the same even this is like 700 years in the future right and yet nothing ever changes it's all about the bottom line damn it Yutani. always i I agree with you that it's 
it's not something that I necessarily thought of when I'm, when I'm watching it, but it, you, when you bring it up, it is, you know, absolutely an obvious thing. And even to the point where, you know, part of the, part of how, you know, quote, the man keeps you down is they play you off against each other. So technically all Mm. of the, all of the crew are really blue collar workers. Even, even though you've got middle management with Dallas and, and Ripley and, and, uh, supervisors and, and, but then you, and you've got Brett and, and, uh, holy crap, Brett and somebody saved me here. I don't know the characters, the Veronica Cartwright character. Parker, sorry. Parker, Parker and Brett are like the, you know, they are the the lowest on the totem pole to the point where like they're even relegated to the lower section of the ship, almost like they're Morlocks or something. And they're, you know, tilted against the others where they only get half a share and you get a full share. But in the end, they're all disposable to the company. So, and the company keeps, you know, the company by keeping them pitted against each other uh, prevents them from really being effective against the machinations of the company, which take place in the, in the personage of Ash. So yeah, absolutely. I, I think you could have a lot of fun digging into that aspect of, of the film. And, and as Sailor was saying, it, it continues on into the next film where that, that sort of dichotomy between the in that one, it's it's not just the company versus uh, blue collar workers, but it's the company versus it's the company versus the military, the military versus civilians, the civilians versus the company, and and so on and so forth. So yeah, on that level, it's a it's a really interesting read, and, and kudos to your friend for bringing that up. Big big shout out to Fernando for uh, for giving us that realization. But Bob, I, re- I really like what you're saying about, well, not like what you're saying, but I think that's a really interesting point of uh, sort of the man in a way to keep everyone down is to sort of like split them up and, and have them sort of fight within their group instead of, you know, I guess what would be uh, for them to band together sort of like a s- symbolic or metaphorical version of them, uh, you know, like forming a labor union that can then push back up against against the man. And then, you know, the, the crucial scene of Ripley, you know, telling them not to let, uh, who is it that gets, uh, that gets attacked to not, to not let him, to not let him back on, on the ship, you know, because it might be a danger to everyone else. And, uh, I totally lost my train of thought, but, but that scene is sort of like highlighting, uh, the infighting between the groups as opposed to, you know, and making, putting their sort of like personal self-interest in opposition with each other, as opposed to align with, with one another so that they can all sort of get out in a, in a better, in a better way on the back end. But yeah, that's uh that really blew my mind when, when I, when I read that he wrote that in terms of sort of other kinds of like readings that we can take of alien, we've sort of talked about the like super psychosexual, uh, we've talked about this in terms of uh, being a, a movie about laborers, but then there's also like a lot of themes of like the maternal and Bob, I think you touched on this with the, with the birthing scene uh, at the last supper, but just in terms of like the ship being called mother and 
the movie starting with them waking up from this deep sleep in like a womb like room. Do you guys have anything more on, on that? And Sailor, I'll, I'll kick it to you first for, for that one. I'll also add in that she's trying to save a baby, which is that cat. Other than that, yeah, you, you've nailed all <laughs> of the... I mean, there's no other reason why she would want to save that cat other than it's a good boy. Yeah, there's. A, it's funny for a movie that Ridley Scott said, there's no subtext to this. There's like so many themes and motifs going on and visual... I, I think he just works on a subconscious level that he even accidentally doesn't know what he's doing when he's doing something great. He's like, no, nah, I didn't do nothing. And it's like, you did everything. What are you talking about, Ridley? There's so much in this movie. What are you talking about? But uh, Bob can talk to this more because I know he loves talking about babies. Yeah. <laughs> there's, if there's one thing that I love talking about. Yeah. You know, I, I I do think that you you kind of covered it with the uh, with the uh, description of of uh, you know birth and and mother and and the and them being you know born at the beginning of the movie and that that ca- cocoon. It's that's the great thing about this movie is that it in the spaces between everything that's in, you know, was intended by the creators, there's all this space for us to kind of put our own interests and fears. And, and uh, sometimes I think like we always look at movies or books or any kind of uh, piece of created stuff as a, you know, like a a presentation of, of uh, what the creator thinks about it and what the creator intended but I, I sometimes feel like this stuff is actually just a tool for us to use to put our own interests and concerns and desires and wants onto uh, onto things. So, and really good movies like this are, are the best kind of tools because you can find any thing that you want in a film like this. So, yeah. You know, Abs- it, that, absolutely. that that's there is great, but you could, you could look at it as, you know, I, of course I can't come up with anything else that I could think of to interpret this movie as now, you know, maybe the, somebody could talk about the, the class struggle as, uh, you know, put in uh, between the Soviet union and the United States as represented by Ash as, as corporate, as the uh, capitalist society and the alien as the ultimate proletariat. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's a hell of a- <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I wish I had the brain power to, to formulate, uh, you know, something cohesive about that reading, but that would be rad. <laughs> I'm actually going to jump in real quick and ask you guys, have you seen the documentary memory, the origins of alien from 2019? I have not. Oh, no, it's really good. It's on, yeah. oh, oh, Tell it's, us about it. It's fantastic. It's on Tubi. It doesn't, it's interesting in the fact that it doesn't talk about the making of the movie so much, but it traces back the origin of the idea of things, how certain movies will tap into the collective unconscious and expose fears that are prevalent from all the way back from H.P. Lovecraft to. Francis Bacon to the Great Furies and how we've always been afraid of specific things like the tall. Because if you look at 
the xenomorph removed from his phallic-shaped head, and you just remove that. He's just a tall, lanky, shadowy type thing. He's like an amorphous shadow, basically. And it, it just um, traces back to, like, why do, why do we all have that fear? I mean, because you can even trace it from that to, like, Slenderman, Slenderman which is the, the new internet boogeyman. And that's not, how is that any different looking than what a xenomorph is now? It's a really interesting documentary that really gets into the order. What's wrong with tall people? Man, y'all are scary. I, y'all are going to lick my head. I don't like it. What y'all doing up there, scheming? don't like it. I mean, because you look at the, the aliens, and I, I don't mean the aliens in this. I mean in just popular culture or in real life, rather. There's two different types of aliens. They're the small little grays that we've seen a million times. And then there's the bigger ones, the tall whites. And those are the ones that are usually the scarier ones that people, if they ever encountered them, are the ones that are encountered. And again, it's like, why do we have these collective fears that these different uh, people in different um, civilizations and um, societies that would have no connection or to each other all have the the same similar fears so that's what the documentary gets into it's really fascinating and again it's on tubi so i highly recommend yep. if you've seen it's on all end oh is it on shutter yeah there's, there's probably it's yeah. probably on multiple places. yeah it's on a bunch of different places yeah. but definitely added to the queue that sounds awesome that sounds sweet nothing about um, the proletariat or um babies though so <laughs> <if> <laughs> Yeah. No, I, you know, that's just an example. Like you could probably do one with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs because of course there are seven cast members and I'm just saying that there's room. There's room. There's room. <laughs> there's, there's room. It, it contains multitudes is all I'm saying. Uh, well, speaking of room, and I guess that's oh. kind of going to be my uh, segue. Do you think that was, was ro- that was smooth? It's, that was it's, seamless. Ooh, it's It's smooth. Do you think there was room in the conversation for this at that time, 1979, for this to be nominated for Best Picture? Because I'm looking at the nominees, and Best Picture probably not, because that, that was a stacked category. But why well, was let's this hear not? The- well, we can go through, because there was um, Apocalypse Now, um, Normal Ray. I had it up, and I don't have it up anymore. I'll give me two seconds. I think all, all that jazz... Breaking away and why won't I am the low fester for me? The best picture was it Deer Hunter. Were, deer that was Deer Hunter, wasn't it? Uh, that I think that was a couple years before. This was the winner was Kramer versus Kramer. All that jazz, Apocalypse Now, Breaking Away, Normal Ray. That you know that's Alien probably couldn't have nudged any. Actually, I think the winner was actually the worst one of those bunch, but whatever. But director. Which is slightly different. Robert Benton won for Kramer vs. Kramer. Bob Fosse was nominated for All That Jazz. Francis Ford Coppola, Apocalypse Now. Peter Yates, Breaking Away. And Edward Melanor for La Caja Fall. Really? How did, how did he... What? Like, how did he wiggle his way into that? You, you're going to tell me... And I've seen La Caja Fall. That's the movie that um, Birdcage was... Uh, Right. The remake of it's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. You're gonna tell me that was better directed than Alien? Come on now. And it's this isn't gonna be me on. Soap In 1979, Box. it was. In 1979, <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
It's, yeah. yeah, they weren't they weren't going to do a genre film for any any of the big in 1979. I, no way. Yeah, I, but only I, only one is in the canon, so that is true. It's laugh. definitely not Lacage à Fall, but I just yeah. don't understand. <laughs> I get I understand the Academy has like a, a hard stance on genre and horror, and sometimes most of the time science fiction, which falls under genre. But I don't understand how any Academy member watching this movie, 1979, because this isn't Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This isn't Psycho. These, are, these aren't movies where, like, no, that's, that's not going to get in. That's too violent. This movie isn't that violent, other than the chestburster scene, which is, a, you know, as violent as any mo- moment in cinema can get. Outside of that, every other death happens off screen. The xenomorph in this movie is only in it for seven and a half minutes. The rest of the movie yeah, is I just gonna... tension. And you can't tell me that a ex, uh, expertly directed scenes of tension waiting for something to happen when very little actually happens in this movie. When, the, again, the xenomorph is only in it for seven and a half minutes. You got to maintain that suspense and tension somehow. And Ridley Scott does it. So I don't understand how an academy can watch this movie and be like, yeah, but Lakaja Fall. It's like, what are you talking about? I don't... That That's okay. The The Academy got it wrong, but the good news is Screen Age Wasteland never gets it wrong, so never it wrong. Never. we should just, you know, well, my, we can well, pat ourselves question, on the back, back for that. Well, I was going to turn that What's into your a question? question and not just me griping. Do you think this movie would have a better reputation, it, even though it the, the reputation is stellar and unimpeachable, do you think it would be even more if it was nominated? Like Silence of the Lambs was nominated for everything. Do you think then this would be in a different category or would it be the same and have no bearing on its reputation at all? Bob, do you want to take that one? Well, it's hard to to say because, you know, you can, you can foresee a a alternate timeline where uh, alien gets nominated for, if not best picture, but maybe best director. And then how does that change how the eighties treats science fiction and, and horror movie directors? I mean, we, Ripley, I mean, uh, Sigourney Weaver finally gets nominated and wins right for an Oscar for aliens, right? She's nominated. Is, I don't think she wins. Did she not win? I thought she won. For some Perhaps just in my heart. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but you know, maybe she wins instead if alien has given some weight to the genre that it didn't get because it didn't get nominated for pretty much anything. So yeah, I do think it would change things. And and I think that it would be, yes, this was the first genre film that, that got this sort of recognition and then everybody would be looking to be the next Ridley Scott. So, yeah. What would that world look like? What would our, you know, would we just end up with a ton of even more alien ripoff films than we got? I don't know. Even more. I mean, there are so many alien ripoffs that it constitutes its own legitimate subgenre of film. There are so many movies. So maybe we would have gotten better ones. And uh, quick correction: she did not win Marley Marley Matlin for Children of a oh. Lesser God, which you know she never had a chance. She had that in the bag. So yeah. uh, <laughs> yep. But the fact that she was nominated in a 
sci-fi action movie. I mean, I have to get hats off to the Academy. At least she recognized what she was doing. So I don't know why you didn't recognize what anyone else was. Two people were nominated for this movie, of course. Um, set design and costume, I believe. But that was it. And I, I, just, I would I, have guessed at least screenplay. Yeah, nothing. But yeah, none of the, the hell big, do I know? Two nominee, nominations. Now, this was, a again, a, a great year, a banner year for cinema, but I just don't know how you look at this movie and just not to see what the hell Ridley Scott was able and, to do. And can we just say, uh, you know, that this movie did as well as it did and came out as great as it, it did for a movie that had basically been sold to Roger Corman. <laughs> to make a quickie out of uh, when before Walter Hill and his Brandywine production company swept in and snagged it up because uh, Star Wars had done so well and they needed science fiction films. But uh, sometimes I wonder, what would this film have looked like had Roger Corman <laughs> been the one that produced it? Oh, I can give you that answer. I'm pretty sure it's Forbidden World, and it's yeah, <laughs> it's, it's fun, but it's you know, yep. it ain't this, yep. it ain't this. Oh, it so, thank God, Ridley Scott did it. Now, can we talk about that chest burst scene? This oh, Sailor, about. you you read my mind. I was gonna take <laughs> us uh, there. Um, I wanted to ask if either of you guys knew if uh, if on the website if we had a uh, a write up for that scene from alien and those of you who aren't familiar on screen age wasteland uh there's a nice series that we do i believe the name is that scene from x movie and basically what happens there is one of our contributors will just write some lovely words about a particular scene in a particular movie it's usually a very iconic scene when you're talking about iconic scenes it's sort of hard to not mention the chest burster scene from alien uh it's got to be up there so i don't know if either of you guys know if we have that up there if not someone's got to call duke and we got to change that immediately i'm looking through the, the archives and i'm not seeing it and doesn't I don't look like it yeah oh man but yeah t- talk to me about the scene what, what do you guys think of it just all of it is there a better directed scene in the history of cinema <laughs> than this and i know i talk a lot in high hyperbolic statements everything is i would say thing. all of josh trank's fantastic four but besides <laughs> that <laughs> no. from the moments where they start eating food and it's going around slowly and there's just talking and you don't you're there's no alarms raised yet you're not thinking of a jump scare they're just t- hanging out they're just chilling and then all of a sudden john hurt is like oopsie Oopsie poopsie, my stomach hurts. And then Veronica Cartwright gives you everything. That she's the one person we haven't talked about yet because we've mentioned all the other characters. Because she usually gets short shrift when people talk about this movie. Because she's right. barely in it. She doesn't really do anything. Except she sells that effect better than anyone who could ever sell anything ever. She sells that so well. And I know they say, like, oh, they didn't know. Of course they knew something was going to happen. You had, like, 40 people under that table with squibs and shit. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but they knew something was going to happen. But still, man, does she deliver 
a scream and the blood and and then it's just on the table, scampers away, and you're like, okay, now what the hell is going to happen? Now yeah, and man. then the movie opens up in a way that few movies have ever just dropped a bomb in the middle of their movie, and you're like, all right, now deal with this. And you're like, I what? This thing can rape you and create a baby? Yeah. Insane! <laughs> this is crazy. I think, uh, Bob, and I'm going to kick it over to you in a second, but I think um, I think one of the craziest craziest things about this movie is that yes, it is a slasher film in space, but we don't get a slasher until an hour, maybe like 50, like maybe it's 55 minutes, but it's a, it's at least the halfway point before things really kick into gear. But I think it's, I think it's after the hour mark. And then at that point you only have about 40, 45 minutes of movie left. And still it's, it's amazing. And like everything leading up to that point is also great. But then obviously, you know, after that, after that scene, things sort of uh, kick into gear. But yeah, Bob, what do you have for us on on the infamous uh, Last Supper scene? Oh my God! It, uh, I, of course, you know, as I said at the beginning, I had read the book, so I knew it was coming the first time that I saw it. And you'd think, oh well, you know, something bursts out of Kane's chest, and and uh, it's a little alien-looking dude, and he flies off the table, and you'd be prepared for it. And I was not freaking prepared for that scene despite that. And so I think that's in, in a a very tiny way had the same kind of experience as the actors in that, you know, you know, something's coming, but the way it was done was just so freaking amazing. And the cutting is exceptional and the acting is exceptional, but you know, watching it, I just watched it again today. And the thing that gets me are tiny little things like, uh, the way that Ian Holmes, Ash, his, uh, you know, he's doing the smiling with his face, but not with his eyes thing. And his eyes keep darting over to Kane. Like he knows something's coming mm. and, and that's nothing that I ever really noticed before, but it's pretty sinister, uh, looking at it, at, at it now. And yeah, Ver- Veronica Cartwright is really undersold as an actress for this movie. I love all of her line delivery even from the beginning with, with the, uh, you know, Ripley going, that's not our system. And her going, I know that she's got, she's got some great line readings in this and, and is an underrated actress. So, and the scene is, is the, the capstone scene, right? So I also want to lives on. It's, it's, if this movie didn't have that scene, it still would be an all timer. So for, for this movie to also have one of the all-time great, you're like, man, some movies don't even have half this. You have all of this? And I just want to, if you are a fan of Veronica, Veronica Cartwright in that moment, and you're like, man, I want to see that again, just check out the movie that came out four years after this, Nightmares, which is a horror anthology. All I'm going to say is she gives the exact same freak out performance but instead of a chest burster what the camera then pans over to is a giant rat and you're like oh veronica would just give you a hundred percent even if the movie wasn't so god bless veronica it's one it's (laughs) so funny because she's trusting the director to really deliver an image worthy of her and man do they let her down 
because she's giving it everything she gave Ridley and yet cut to a giant, ridiculous-looking rat. But uh, in this moment, it it's cutting to something worthy of that scream and that, oh, my God. Like, it's... And then from it's there, incredible. Yeah, yeah. No one, you don't feel safe because then you really like who is the main. And then they kill off Tom Skerritt, who you think is probably going to be the lead. No, he's gone. And then they have another twist, which I'm going to just segue into that: the Ash twist that he's a cyborg or android, whatever the hell he is. It's fucking great. And the way he tries to kill somebody by rolling up a um, magazine and shoving it down the throat. Like that's such a, an efficient dude. More grotesque. He's like, he mm-hmm. like tries to sodomize her to death. Freak. Right. It's a porno mag, right? So, is it really yeah. a porno mag? It is a porno mag, and no and uh, and uh, Scott has said that, of course, uh, Ash has no functioning parts. So this is the closest he can come to an actual sexual experience. Is oh trying to rape Ridley with a magazine. So this entire movie, the real enemy is rape. You did it, Ridley. No wonder he was like, yeah, yeah I didn't put any subtext <laughs> in. It's like, this, this, this is the rapiest movie? The hell are you talking about, Ridley? R- rape not good. Uh, rape not good. That's what, get, <laughs> that's what we get from Alien. Rape not good. <laughs> Thank you, and, Ridley Scott. That's going on the t-shirt Josh, right there. And Josh Trink's Fantastic Four, ironically. So, rape not good. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do have in my notes... Is is this the best movie tagline ever? In space, no one can hear you scream. I wonder how how the history of this movie would have changed if the tagline was "rape not good." Rape. <laughs> <laughs> Alien coming this summer. Rape, rape not, not good. good. <laughs> rape not yeah. good. And, uh, I mean, the entire marketing is great. The poster where it's just like that. Spl- not even the egg, but just the splitting. And you're like, I don't even know what I'm looking at here. And it's just minimalist, that one uh, tagline, and that's it. That was enough for people to go, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go see this. And, you know, and nowadays, you just, just have floating heads, and it's just like, man, back in the day, they didn't even, they tried without even looking like they tried, like Tony Hawk, again, the patron saint. Like Tony podcast, Hawk. I guess. I, uh, I was actually just looking, uh, I have that Alien Vault book. At uh, Voyager Press put out several years back, and one of the sections that has some of the uh, like the test posters that they were putting together and the test taglines, and yeah, they're not they're not particularly too good. They're just full of things like "Please listen, mankind, you have so little time." Like that's Ooh, the tagline. Not, not nearly as good. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. Yeah. So um, and, and yeah, they're all awful. Space, but they no dumped all that and got to the genius tagline that they do have is yet another one of those serendipitous things that led to the best choice. Yeah, it was it was beautiful. I do want to go back to the twist that Sailor was talking about, uh, where we find out that Ash is a android robot, artificial life form being of of some sort, and. You know, watching this movie today, you know, both today as we uh, were recording, but also today in the year 2023 of our Lord and Savior, sort of thinking about an AI being being the sort of sort of a antagonist in the movie 
feels like perfectly fitting, especially when that AI being is working on behalf of the corporation to uh, get this alien back to them for whatever sort of uh, capitalist purposes they they have for the alien and seeing the actual spacecraft and the crew members rather as being expendable uh, like the real you know humans who are who are on the ship are sort of being overrun by AI furthermore I was thinking about the writer strike that happened today where we're uh, you know when, when this episode is released um, the writers guild will have just gone on strike. And just like thinking about sort of how all of that stuff like ties in and like why that strike is happening and the threat that like artificial intelligence poses to the movie industry and just like industries as a whole in terms of removing laborers and where Ash fits in into all of that. For me, it just made that twist, you know, obviously knowing that that it was coming, having seen this a bunch of times, but it made that whole dynamic and subplot just so much more interesting i don't know if that's a weird tangent that you guys weren't feeling but yeah Yeah. all tangents are valid yeah that's what i have to say about that it it, i didn't think of it today even though i I had seen the news but as as a, a sometimes artist the the whole ai thing has been has been in my the forefront of my brain as well it's a little less for me with the the movie, just because while while Ash is an android, or sometimes uh, Scott will actually say that he's a replicant. He's not it's a replacement. He, yeah, exactly. He's uh, he's not a replacement in the same way that what we're dealing with today. He's, I think, he's more re- a, a, an actual representative of you know the the emotionless, soulless corporation that really isn't, isn't human in that sense. But again, uh, alien is large and it would be interesting to see trying to, uh, trying to interpret it from this standpoint today with what happened today and what's going on with, uh, AI art and writing. And that's, yeah, I just thought it was an interesting, an interesting time to be, for us to be talking about this movie, considering, you know, what's going on in the, in the world around us. Um, before we get to recommendations and everything, uh, I want us to talk a little bit about Ripley. I know we have, you know, it's impossible to talk about this movie without mentioning her, but I do want to focus some time on her and Sigourney Weaver and just like what the character means to this movie. Um, so I have a question for you guys. Ripley, legendary character or iconic character? Go. Depends on which movie you're talking about. Oh, wow. (laughs) Because she does not, like Han Solo, I do not think she becomes an iconic character until the sequel. She's great in this movie, but she's not iconic. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's, I I will say that she's important to cinema, making her a woman, 100% important. But is she iconic? No. Second one, absolutely. She comes out, I wanted to say ball swinging, but that's not the correct term for Ripley. But the fact that James Cameron (laughs) (laughs) comes out ball swinging. 
the fact that James Can't Cameron shaking my head, but I'm shaking. My head. <laughs> gave her something to do in the second one more than just arguing with Dallas and making her basically it's just another fi- uh, final girl in that. In this is basically all she is. A great final girl, no question. One of the best of all time, but I do not think she's iconic or legendary. If there was no sequels, no one would dress up like Ripley because of this. No one would quote mm-hmm. Ripley because of this. It's the second one that really, but James Cameron, I don't think she would have been iconic or legendary if she wishes the dude either. So James Cameron was really lucky that Scott did all the heavy lifting for him. And then he was like, I'm just going to give her something to do. And now that she has something to do, not that again, not that she doesn't have a lot to do in this one. She just has more to do in that one because she, is protecting new. And now you're like, oh, now I'm invested more than I was when she's just protecting herself and a cat. Because now everyone else is dead because they're dumb and they don't listen to her. Now this one, <laughs> again, still not listening to her. That's kind of her entire character arc is yeah, nobody listens to line. the woman and everyone dies. Sits, what is, yeah, three movies that she shows up in. I'm not going to count resurrection because we are, we need the t-shirt, the, the WWRD. What would Ripley do? Cause if it, as my wife has said, the first time we watched the movie together, like every, if people just did what Ripley said, when she said it, none of this shit would happen. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Bob, where do you stand a, on the, uh, okay, go ahead. Where uh, do you just, stand on the legendary verse icon? I, I hate to say that I agree with sailor on this. But I kind of I, I I kind of agree with Sailor on this. I mean, I think that the character was always going to be with her in that role. It was go- always going to be important. And if she never did anything else with it, people would still point back and say that was a a classic and amazing role and important. But. I, I I agree that it was a it was a character that that uh, you know I'm one of those people with that is all about the hero's journey sort of things and usually I'm the hero discovered stories are my favorite sorts of stories and then the hero defined stories are usually the most boring parts of the stories for me when origin stories are exciting and then follow up stories tend not to be as exciting to me. Uh, Ripley's story is the exception to that because the the origin story is is super cool and exciting, but it's not really her story. And then mm-hmm. Alien becomes is when she really becomes Ripley, the you know in uppercase all uppercase letters. So yeah, I I agree with right. Sailor on this. Okay, you know for you? that question, I I may have just been pulling from sort of zeitgeist knowledge of what Ripley becomes in the second one, but uh, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take my L and, and I'll eat it. Um, <laughs> no, but think, do you, do you I'm actually like, think that she's, that she's I, iconic in that role from the beginning? So here, here's the thing. I, um, and this is going to be a tough admission and we don't need to talk any, any more about it, but, I have only seen like half of Aliens. I didn't totally love it. I need to rewatch it. So I'm really only familiar with Ripley in this version or in this this movie. And I do love her as a character. 
um, and sort of the journey that she goes on. I do think that she has, from a filmmaker's perspective, I think she has a lot of agency, even though her peers within the movie don't necessarily see um, see her as having that. And I do think that she, I would lean legendary in this movie if I, once I finish Aliens, I'm sure I'll be more in the iconic boat uh, for her in that movie. Well, but, a huge, a huge follow-up because cool. we can't, yeah. we can't just drop this. Is that the only other Alien movie you've seen? Well, I was going to take that into, I think, a last question before okay, we get ahead, into recommendations. So I feel like it's tough to talk about Alien without talking about the franchise or the series as a whole in a larger context. Listener, for your uh purposes and for your knowledge aliens is also in the canon so there will be at some point down the road there will be a full episode dedicated to that movie but then in terms of the other ones what is it uh is there an alien resurrection or am i totally making that up yeah that's uh, the fourth you got one. Prome- you've got prometheus and uh and covenant and and all and all of those um so if you guys just want to do like a couple of minutes, couple of seconds, your thoughts on sort of the franchise as a whole, where you think the other movies uh, sort of hold up and really try to limit the aliens talk just because there will be another episode about that. Yeah. Sailor, what's I'll, your, where you rank them? Well, uh, well, it's the first two and then the rest are like, whatever to me, uh, alien <laughs> to me was, I mean, it is what it is. I, I like the fact that they kept getting interesting directors for each one, Ridley Scott, James Cameron, the third one, David Fincher, then the cat Jean Pierre Junet, I think that's how you pronounce City it. City of Last Children guy is all like. Yes. Um, then Ridley Scott came back, and I think that's one of the huge miscalculations of this franchise, bringing him back to answer all of the questions that weren't answered in this. Like, what is that big thing on that planet that they land on? Like, what is that thing? And I'm like, I don't need to know. I have Who is no that in- guy? Exactly. I have no interest in learning any more than that. I don't need an answer to this. I liked when movies would present a question and it would just be like, all right. And you're like, oh, no answer? Great. Fantastic. Like, the thing is a perfect example of you go into that other base and it's all fucked up. And you're like, what the hell happened here? And then, of course, a prequel had to come around and be like, oh, this is exactly what happened. That's how I feel about Prometheus. Where it's, I and here's the thing: I like Prometheus. I think it's the third best one. I know everyone. I don't know why people shit on it as hard as they do. I know all the characters in it do stupid shit, but I'm like, and like characters do stupid <laughs> shit throughout this entire franchise. I don't care about that. Everyone's I, super smart in the in this first one. Yeah, they're all <laughs> making great grade A choices throughout this. Like I don't yeah. know why they. They focus on that one at where the characters, but once you dig into this raft, this franchise, you're gonna be like, man, this is a wild, wild franchise. Yeah, because it goes down. And then some- if you do, that's just if you if you stick with the movies, because there's a whole extended universe of comic books and novels and and video games and stuff. And and I sometimes think that that's one of the reasons why people came down so hard on Prometheus because, you know, for for uh, a couple of decades there, there were there was this expanded universe of alternate 
stories, some of them featuring some of the same characters, and people started to get attached to their their version of of what the Alien universe looked like. And then Ridley Scott was like, "Yeah, screw all you guys. I'm I'm going to do my own crap." And and so seems to be a theme in, in Ridley's older age. But what are you going to do? Yeah, taking over franchises that he has no uh, no earthly reason to have anything to do with, and then adding more Jesus stuff to it. So you're not gonna you're not excited about Gladiator Two? I take it. If they were making Christ Killer, that fucking script that was wild, yeah, I'd be like, hell yeah, because that script is bananas. No, he's not doing that script, so I have no interest. Where Maximus keeps getting resurrected as soldiers throughout history, and of one of them killed Jesus or something like that. Script is so bananas. Then of course they were never going to make it. And this one is like, oh, but what if he had a son or something? It's like, what are you talking about? I am no. Well, dudes, um, I know we didn't cover everything, but we covered a lot of stuff. We oh, hit some I am so sorry ground. to interrupt you, Raf. I just because I I I just saw it and it just occurred to me of uh, mm-hmm. out of the extra expanded stuff. If you guys ever get a chance and you haven't. Heavy Metal did an adaptation of the Alien movie back in in 1979, and if you ever get a chance to to pick it up, it's it's well worth a look. It was done by uh, Archie Goodwin and Walter Simonson, and it's it's considered one of the best movie adap- comic adaptations. Oh, nice! I just want to highly recommend it. So we're getting a lot of uh, a lot of unofficial recommends uh, on the front end of this episode. Um, I know it's cheating. I, I well, I guess not at the front end, but just before the recommendation section, uh, which is sort of cheating, but not really. I've enjoyed this conversation so much that I will, I'll overlook all of the cheating that you guys have done for recommendations. But all that being said, again, we we weren't able to talk about everything. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that we've missed. If there are specific items that you listener want to mention to us about alien you know feel free to uh to to hit us up you can comment on this uh on this podcast on spotify you can leave us a review where you talk about everything that we missed or everything that you loved you can uh chat with us in the comment section of the screen age wasteland website uh you can dm us on twitter you can tweet at us uh on twitter all of that good stuff we want to hear from you but all that being said, we've had a great conversation about Alien. It's been an absolute blast. I think we uh, we definitely got to a whole lot of good stuff, even though we didn't get to everything. But now it is time for everyone's favorite part of the episode. We are on to our recommendations, uh, three recommendations for Alien. Bob, I want you to kick us off. And then Sailor, and then me, and we'll go around the room. All right, sounds good. So I think the, the first... Uh, recommendation I'm going to make is, is a film recommendation. It's, it's not really, you know, every, you, you can't, because we can't use aliens. Aliens is part of the, the canon. That would be the, the default. Of course, you start looking for other films and, and honestly, uh, horror films set in space. Good ones are, are really few and far between. So this is one of my favorite of that genre came out in, 
1997, I think. Uh, it's it's uh, Paul W. S. Anderson's mm-hmm. Event Horizon. That's nice. it's it's more Lovecraftian, and there's no uh, distinct alien monster. Uh, if anything, the ship itself, Event Horizon, is is the monster. But uh, I just dig that you've got the the disparate crew uh, that has to uh, deal with a rising threat and get uh, picked off one by one as the uh, as the film goes along. And it's it's in my opinion the best Paul W S Anderson film. Uh, I know that's not saying mm. a huge amount, it but, sure uh, is. <laughs> and it's it's got some great visuals. Event Horizon is a great pick. And great mood. So. so if you haven't seen it, and I, I know you don't really like horror films, Raph, so this might be one to skip because there's quite a bit mm. more gore in, in this than there is. It's Hellraiser in space, basically. Yep. I'm, uh, it, it, it's been on my radar. I, I think it's something that I want to check out eventually. But yeah, that's a, that's a, great, that's a great kickoff to our, to our recommendations. Sailor, what's your first I one? Don't wanna I don't want to step on anyone's recommendations. Can you all hear me? Oh, okay. Absolutely. Are you talking to us or are you talking to our listeners? Y'all can hear me out there in radio land? Okay. (laughs) I was just making sure. Um, I don't want to step on anybody's recommendations. Um, I don't know if you guys are going to pick the video game Alien Isolation. If if you guys are, I'm not going to. Okay, it's great. Nope. People should check it out. It's the best alien thing since Aliens. But that's not what I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick a different Alien video game. (laughs) Well, because I didn't know if it's... One of the most obvious things somebody can recommend, so I didn't know if you guys were going to pick it, but it yeah, it's and it so is good. it's a great it's a great. But game. I'm going to go with going to go with because my English is great. The 1993 game Alien vs Predator on the arcade. It is so awesome. <laughs> it's so great. It's so great that <laughs> I didn't realize. Oh, that there's that was multiple a game. games. None of them are good except this one. It's an arcade beat 'em up with a giant dude that looks just like Arnold Schwarzenegger, a girl that kind of looks like Ripley, and a predator. Two predators. So, and then they just fight nothing but xenomorphs. It's a great beat 'em up. It's a great quarter muncher. And of course, you're going to play as the Predators, killing all these. And it's so good that you're like, just make this into the movie. Just do this. Why is it so hard for y'all to just have Predators fight aliens? It's a slam dunk idea, and yet nobody can do it right except people who make video games. Alien vs. Predator, you can find it. It's fun. I love it. That sounds Yeah, that sounds sick. All right, for my first recommend, I think I'm going to go with a book. So this book, uh, I read it like maybe a year, year and a half ago. As I was reading it, I would sort of describe the vibe as like alien meets starship troopers. It's about a crew on a ship uh, where they're off in some distant space land uh, fighting these like giant lizard things for really for no apparent reason. Uh, so that's where you get the starship troopers sort of vibe. But then the the ship itself is in a way an antagonist the way that I wouldn't say that mother in alien is an antagonist, but sort of what mother represents as being again, a vessel of, you know, the corporations that are doing all this evil to, uh, to our crew in this movie, but sort of similar vibes in uh, the book that I'm recommending the, you know, these ships are made by these giant corporations. The ships sort of have a set idea and plan of what they're going to do 
and the crew is really just there to for the sake of being there. They're really they're expendable. They're not really treated as real human lives with real value. All this to say, my first recommend is uh, Providence by I believe the author's name is Max Berry. It's a it's a good, fun, short little sci-fi read. If you guys haven't read it, I would I would recommend checking it out. It's a uh, it, it's a breeze and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely going to check yeah, that out. Sounds cool. Cool, Bob. What do you got next? All right, so my next film uh, is actually a uh, I consider it a, an unofficial part of the Alien franchise in that it it has you know mainly blue collar uh, characters a really substantially used universe and a uh, corporation, a careless corporation pitted against the the common guy sort of thing. It's only missing aliens and it's uh, also nowhere, nowhere near as good as alien, but I still love this movie a lot. And this is uh, uh, Peter Hyams mm. outland, which came out in 1981. It, it really took that, that dirty used universe aesthetic that Ridley Scott perfected in alien and just expanded it into a a mining facility on the moon of IO. And it's got Sean Connery as a uh, sheriff. It's really, it's, it's high noon in outer space. It's, it's more of a Western, but I feel like the, the corporation and the, the characters uh, feel very similar to the the characters in Alien, so in my mind, this this is a, a little bit closer to home, but set in the uh, set in the same universe. I actually almost nice. uh, mentioned I this it. when uh, I was talking about the Roughnecks. This is such a good movie. Awesome! I I have to add it to my watch list. It's a great thing about this show. I I get so many recommendations, uh, and I'm sure so many of our listeners feel the same way. Sweet, Bob. Or no, Bob, you just went. Yeah. Sailor. I'm, I'm going with an alien next? movie that's a little bit off the beaten path, a little bit different uh, than you would expect hmm. uh, watching this. and then. But we expect the <laughs> unexpected from you. So uh, it is yeah, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to stay that's within true. brand. I'm, I'm still trying to stick with sci-fi and alien movies. But this one flew under a lot of radars. Some people saw it, some people didn't. But if you didn't catch it, the Vest of Night from 2019 is still on Amazon. Oh, yeah. It's a great little movie uh, set in New Mexico in the 1950s where these two kids, and when I say kids, they're like, what would you say, 14, 15, 16, something like that, who are work. Yeah, yeah, yeah early, early high, high school. school in this little small town in New Mexico, and they work at this switchboard. I believe, and one of them hears a noise that they can't yep. quite identify. And they're like, what the hell is that? Where is it coming from? And they're trying to figure out what, where it's coming from. And one of them was like, it's probably aliens. And then they start interviewing people, and they're all telling them stories of, oh, I was abduct- abducted when I was a little girl. And you're like, what the hell is going on here? So it's a slow little movie that where you're just watching people listen to sounds and it's the most captivating thing I've seen in years. I love it. I know that that sounds like the most boring thing, just watching people go, what is that sound? What is this? And then they rewind it and then they listen to it again. But it's a great little um, movie that 
slipped through some radars. Vast of Night 2019. Uh, it's great. Yeah, I agree with nice. you. That's a, that's a really, really cool little movie. I, I've heard good things about it. That has certainly been on my radar as something to watch. But now it will move a little bit higher up the uh, the watch list. So uh, for my next recommendation, I'm going to go with just another sort of standard. Uh, well, not, I guess not standard, but I'm going to go with uh, another great sci-fi horror, you know, genre crossing, uh, mixing film. One of my favorite movies uh, within that subgenre and just probably one of my f- favorite movies you know, ever made. I think a lot of people really love it. I also think it's a movie that while there are a lot of people who really adore it, there are also a lot of people um, who don't have it on their radar, despite how great it is. Uh, I'm going with Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, the mm-hmm. version from the 70s. I freaking love that movie. Yeah, that's fantastic. Would you that believe me choice. if I said I've never seen the original? I still never seen the 50s one. Really? Uh, the so the the two movies are really cool. The fifties one is is obviously great, and I think the seventies one is doing. It's like it's in conversation with the original one in a really cool way that a lot of remakes aren't necessarily. Which is, I think, one of the reasons why it sort of like stands out in terms of you know great sci fi horror movies. Uh, I heard Bob in the back. Really? Yeah, and but Veronica you, Cartwright's in that sure movie is. too, right? So. That's, oh yeah. yeah, and she has another freak nice. out moment. Another connection. It's great. I I feel like I the reason I I put <laughs> off the right. 50s one for so long is because I feel like I've already seen it through osmosis because I've seen so many clips of it. But eventually, right. I will sit down and watch it. Mm-hmm. I know you I should still watch it. Yeah, yeah. I know you like some of those fifties. I don't know why I haven't just sat down and just watched it because I, I feel like I have. That's why I haven't. But that seventies one, Philip Kaufman directs the hell out of that movie. It's a damn good movie. Hell yeah. Bob, what's your final recommend? All right. So I'm going to go off the reservation a little bit uh, with this next recommendation uh, because I, uh, I'm, I actually uh, play role-playing games. Um, I actually have a regular Dungeons and Dragons game on Sunday nights. I love it. Uh, and uh, recently uh, one of the, uh, one of the, the guys in the group uh, decided they wanted to run a, a game uh, by a company called Modifius, uh, which is the licensed alien role-playing game. And uh, awesome. we've played it. We've played it twice now with the first, the first game we were just, it was, it was basically alien where we were all roughnecks on a ship and things go awry. And then we just played another game where, where we were all colonial Marines and, and guess what? Oh, things go awry. No. Um, and it's, it's been a blast. It's just been so much fun. Uh, and the game system actually really helps promote this feeling of growing panic and action. And it's, yeah. Uh, if you at all like role-playing and role-playing games, even if you just want to read a, a really well-written role-playing game uh, with lots of background about the uh, universe that, that the alien is set in. Yeah. The alien role-playing game is well worth a look. Awesome. That, that sounds rad. That's a great recommend. Um, I'm happy. uh, 
I'm happy we had you on for this episode so that you could, so that you could bring that into all of our lives. <laughs> Just bring in the nerd. That's all I'm here for. That's what we need. That's what we all need. Well, Sailor, Bob's bringing your, the nerd and I'm bringing your final the gross. Recommend? Because if you want body horror, because this movie <laughs> taps in on, we, we talked about a lot. It's rape no good. Well, if you want the best rape no good uh, from, from an alien movie, you're not going to find better than Extro from 1982. It's one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. And uh, I don't know how to... All I can say is a little boy's dad uh, gets abducted by aliens and two years later he comes back in a way that I cannot describe. You're just going to have to see it to believe it. Let's just say somebody gives birth. Um, he comes back and he wants his son back. <laughs> and his son has magical powers that are inexplicable. And he can make little clown toys come alive. And there's soldiers and like soldier toy. It's There's so much going on in this movie. I, I can't even unpack it. Extra. <laughs> you got to see it. To believe it, I, I've never, I've never heard of this, but um, that was quite, that was quite the, that was quite the sales pitch. It's, wow, this is the the thing that gets me about lots of things get me about extra, but the, one of the things that gets me is that they in Alien they were talking about when they were trying to decide what to do for Alien. One of the things they did was bring in a contortionist. They were going to have them like turn upside down and walk backward, and then have the alien head on on like the butt of the the actor sort of thing and they decided to go with uh, with Giger instead thank god but extra decided that was a perfect idea <laughs> and one of the alien designs is basically that is a contortionist walking backwards with the head uh, here's the thing backwards so. i i was sold before and it's super i'm super effective. sold now I know we're we're kind of like joking on it, but it's actually a really effectively creepy looking alien. You only see it for a split second, but yeah, it's it's. I mean, I'm joking with this pick, but not really. I do legitimately love this movie, but you you're not the again, same. I well, I mean, whatever you think the alien looks like in your mind, it's probably better looking than that. Because it sounds ridiculous <laughs> when you say contortionist walking backwards. It, mm-hmm. it works like, well, cause you don't see it move. So it's just sitting there on the side of the road and you're like, what in the fuck is that? It looks like a giant shaved rat. It's, <laughs> it's, it's wild. You're not going to forget this. Yeah. Movie. It's horrifying. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. That's cool. I won't be able to sleep tonight, but I will have to check out this movie. Uh, I love it for, for my final recommend. I'm going to go with something that is maybe not as troubling as sailors. <laughs> Not as cool as Bob's either, but again, something that feels relevant to the times that we're in right now, specifically this week with the uh, with the writer's strike. So you can all tell this is something that's very much on my mind right now. My final recommend is Dan O'Bannon's Guide to Screenplay Structure. Uh, it's not a book that I've read, but it's something that's been on my radar. I find the construction and writing of screenplays to be something that is very interesting. I think writing is a is a beautiful art form. I think writing for the screen in particular is, you know, a uniquely beautiful art form. And I think that we should always continue to value that. I think writers should be paid for the work that they do and should not be screwed over by corporate overlords who think that they can 
spreadsheet their way to good movies. Uh, good movies don't happen without the people who are creating the actual art. So with all that being said, join me in checking out Dan O'Bannon's guide to screenplay structure. He's the guy, he's one of the people who wrote Alien and uh, screenplays are important. So there you go. Yeah, that's awesome. I, d- I didn't know that he'd written uh, written that. So I definitely will check that out. All right. Before we uh, before we wrap up, let's just do one quick uh, summary of all of our recommend recommendations, and uh, and then we'll say our final goodbyes. We'll go in the all same right. order. Uh, sounds good. Uh, so my recommendations uh, start with Event Horizon. As, as Sailor said, it's Hellraiser in space. My second pick was uh, Outland. Uh, I feel like it's uh, unofficially part of the Alien universe, just without the Alien. And uh, finally, the Alien role-playing game by Modifius, if you want to uh, be your own Ripley or uh, Newt, if that's your sort of thing. My picks are Alien vs. Predator, the arcade game from 1993, Vest of Night from 2019, and Extro, the movie you'll never forget from 1982. Don't watch the sequels. <laughs> Thank Do you for that clarification. The third one is, they're both forgettable uh, as fuck, but that first one, oof, that should be in the canon. I love it. <laughs> that should be. I, I don't. I don't think that it ever has a chance of getting. Yeah, because no one's seen it. You'll all, y'all um, watch and be like, "Oh, let's change the rules." Extra, hundred percent, all the Oscars retroactively. Extra, a movie. Uh, right what's my recommendation? Zero stars too. Extra. Uh, my recommendations are the novel Providence by Max Berry, 1978's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and. Dan O'Bannon's guide to screenplay structure guys. We did it. Another great episode in the books, uh, alien. We talked about it and it was awesome before we leave. Do you, uh, do either of you have any, uh, any articles or anything coming up on, on the website that you want people to, to be on the lookout for? Not a damn thing. Not a top 50 Muppets coming up. If y'all want Y'all interested That's in true. that? Muppets? Next <laughs> month. Who doesn't love Muppets? Uh, when I say next month, I believe it's June. We are going to rank, fi- uh, well, not rank. We're doing the top 50 A24 movies. We are doing the top 100 greatest 80s movie moments here coming up shortly. So we got we got a lot of things coming down the pike, but just get ready for top 50 Muppet movies. We could do a top 50 extra movie moments, but you know, <laughs> the, the world ain't ready. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get, to I'm in eventually. for it. I used to, I actually used to do a column for a uh, screen age called uh, fear flashback on Fridays. It's been, been uh, about a year since I did that regularly, but I am hoping to start that back up again in it's starting in June. So if, if all works out, I should be doing horror movie reviews for screen age again. Starting month after uh, next month. Lovely. Yeah, it's May already. First week of May. I've got movies to stream. We go through uh, some cool movies that you can check out on Netflix, HBO Max, Prime Video, Hulu, and Disney Plus. Uh, so that'll be coming in the next couple of days. Next week on the canon, uh, I know it was promised uh, maybe a month ago or so, but we will finally be getting our Yojimbo episode out. 
to you all for all of the Kurosawa fans out there. And beyond that, we'll we'll have more great episodes for you. Bob, Sailor, thank you guys again for joining me. This has been an absolute pleasure. Listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, we always enjoy chatting about movies for y'all. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Sir. It's been awesome. Until next time.